Good morning, church. Good to be with you all this morning. I'm Rob Sweet. For those of you I don't know, and I'd love to say hello sometime. Come, come, front, uh, come up front after a message sometime. I'd love to put a name with a face if you're new here, even if you're not new here, but we haven't met. You know, I pulled in this morning here about 7.15 this morning, and, and I, it occurred to me as I pulled in, uh, there were saints praying all throughout the night last night in this space, and I know some of you all were there, and, and I was there. I, I took the, the chicken hours, the first two hours of the, the easy ones, and um, I know some of you were here in the wee hours of the morning last night, and of course at our Brentwood campus as well, from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. this morning. We were praying, and so it occurred to me when I came in, it's like worship and prayers have already been going on in this space for hours and hours and hours. We're just joining that this morning. How encouraging is that? This is a significant day in the history of our church. Maybe better said, it's a significant day for the future of our church. It's a culmination of a four-week series. You know, as Krista just mentioned, we're calling it Following Jesus on a Journey of Generosity, and the, the four invitations, come, see, give, and live. In the messages and the daily devotions, uh, we've come to understand that when we live out these four invitations, coming to Jesus, opening our eyes to the work of God, giving our lives away, then we come to live in such a way that life flows through us. Life comes to others through us. So we give so that others may live. That's ultimately how the cycle goes. And So generosity is really about so much more than finances, although of course it includes that. It's about following Jesus. You know, Jesus came. Jesus saw us. Jesus gave his life, and Jesus was raised up to live so that others may find life. Today is Commitment Sunday, and honestly, I was like, how many people are gonna show up for Commitment Sunday? Y'all did well, y'all did well. Uh, let, let, me, let me kind of explain how this is going to go. And we call it Commitment Sunday. It really means two things. Number one is we're, we're going to be making uh, this morning our financial commitments uh, for what we um, believe the Spirit has called us individually, as family units, to give over the next three years toward the $15 million to build a permanent home for this campus, something that we've been praying for for a long time. And then, of course, to build a connection space at Brentwood, which they sorely need. The whole project is $30 million, but God has seen fit to put $15 million in our hands. And we have been trusting and praying that the Spirit would open up our hearts collectively as a body to be able to get the rest of the way without any debt. And again, that's our commitment. So if it's less than $15 million, we'll go as far as we can, or we'll wait, or we'll change our plans. But we're not going to do it with debt. We're just trusting God in this all the way. By the way, speaking of trusting God, I know many of you heard this news, but on Thursday night, the Franklin Planning Commission voted to approve an amendment which would allow us to build on that piece of property, which is amazing news. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all the way there, that there's no more hurdles, but this was a big hurdle. This was a significant one, maybe the, the scariest hurdle. I sat in that hearing, and I'll be honest, I was like, I wasn't sure which way it was gonna go. You know, it was kind of bad, the questions they were asking, and I mean, some of the comments from the neighbors. We had neighbors on our side, we had neighbors on not on our side, and I think that's just kind of how that goes, right? Um, but six to two, they voted in favor of amending that plan to allow us. So here's the next step. We submit a specific development plan, and then at that point, they have to approve that as well, but you know, 
we're at the table. We can go back and forth with them if needed on that development plan. So it's huge for us. So again, God really seems to be opening doors in this and we're just trusting him all the way. So what we've been communicating over these last three or four weeks is that this is about far more than facilities. It's about living out our mission to the next generation. It's like having a place for, for Lord willing, not just 25 more years, but Lord willing, 50, 75, 100, who knows, who knows? I think God will come back before 100, but you never know. But we, we plan, Lord willing, that our grandchildren and maybe even our grandchildren's grandchildren, some of them will be worshiping Jesus at Fellowship Bible Church in Franklin, Tennessee. Our mission is to become a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. And, and of course, the others is the community around us. It's those who don't know Christ. It's also our own kids. It's our own grandkids and the kids and grandkids of our neighbors as well. It's also about fulfilling the vision that God has given us, which is not about us. It's about Jesus changing hearts. And Jesus wants to change hearts through people. That's how he's always done it. That's how the church has always worked. It's Jesus changing hearts through people. And we just wanna be one of those ones that put our hand up in the air and say, use us. So our vision is to see Jesus change thousands of hearts through us, through the people of Fellowship Bible Church. I should probably say this. If you're a guest this morning, you might be thinking, I hope they do some kind of meet and greet where he's gonna ask us to all stand up so I can conveniently slip out. (laughs) Who wants to come to visit a church on Commitment Sunday, right? Let me put you at ease for a minute. You could not have picked a better day to visit Fellowship. And and here's why. Because if you wanna know what a church believes, you must listen not just to what they say, but what they actually do. In other words, watch what kind of commitments that they make. And that will tell you what a church or, or any group of people truly believe. And so what you'll experience today is most important thing you could know about us. Because to the degree that our beliefs match our commitments, that's the degree that we're living out our mission. And so Commitment Sunday, I want to tell you all this, is not just about the financial commitments. That's, that's one part of it. The other part of it is we're committing today as a church. We're recommitting ourselves to be the kind of church that Christ has called us to be. And our text this morning is gonna walk that through. So, so yes, the giving's gonna happen. That will be at the end of the service. As you leave, I'll tell you about you know, where to put your commitment envelope and those kinds of things. But this message is not about that. Well, it's connected to it, but the message is about us committing to be the kind of church that Christ has called us to be. Um, let me put Psalm 102 on the screen. This is not our primary text, but just by way of kind of getting us started. Here's the context. Israel was living in challenging days. The people of God were overwhelmed by the nations surrounding them. The psalmist affirms God will keep his promises even in a time of trouble. And listen, listen to what the psalmist wrote. Let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. What what a good summation of purpose. In other words, the psalmist is writing, let God's faithfulness be recorded by us so that people not yet born, future generations, will come to know and believe that God can be trusted, to come to know and believe that God is faithful. And so, again, we're calling this Commitment Sunday. It has a double meaning. Yes, it's Financial Commitment Sunday, but it's primarily about us as a church committing ourselves to be the kind of church God wants to use to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that takes us to our text this morning, which is in the book of Acts. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter two. 
We're gonna study Acts 2, 42 to 47 this morning, the very last part of the book of Acts. To some in the room, this may be a very familiar passage, but not to all. And even if you're familiar with this passage, I wanna draw some things out that really kind of struck me in the last couple weeks as we were leaning forward toward this day and this message this morning. Now, just to get us some context, in the book of Acts, we see the church in its embryonic form. And and I chose that word carefully, intentionally, because although the church was not yet fully formed, it was not yet fully organized, it was the church in its essence. In other words, the DNA of the church was fully present, functioning, shaping the church in her infancy. And that's what we see right here at the end of Acts chapter two. We're going to see the DNA of the church, specifically four commitments that every member of the early church made and lived. And these are the commitments that we're going to make as a church, as a body this morning. Now, when we get to Acts 2.42, what has just happened as Peter has preached the very first Christian sermon, so to speak. And it kind of has an altar call at the end, if you will. And Peter's sermon starts in the Old Testament, talks about that, and then it talks about Jesus and how Jesus ties together all the threads of the Old Testament. And Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And and look at verse 41, which is the, the verse right before our text this morning. I'll put it on the screen. So those who received his word, talking about Peter's Uh, message, his testimony, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, at the beginning of that day, there were 120. And at the end of that day, there were 3,120. What happened? The spirit happened. I mean, literally, these people were up in that upper room earlier in the day, 120, you know, Christ followers in that upper room, and the Spirit comes on them, and then amazing things start to happen. And the most amazing thing is they start speaking in languages that they didn't know before, so that all the people had traveled from Jerusalem, from all over that, the, the known world, and they, they heard the gospel in their own dialect. And they were thinking how does this person speak my language? And this was happening all over the place. And they heard the gospel in their own language and God used that miracle and he brought 3,000 souls. This is the power of the spirit at work. If you do the math on this from 120 to 3,120, that's roughly a 2,500% increase in just one day. And as amazing as that is, the way they actually start to live after they're baptized, I think is just as amazing. Let's take a look, and this is our text for this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the living word of God for us today. Here's what's amazing to me. 3,000 people who just the day before had been living their own way, had, had been going toward their own goals, had been living toward their own ambitions, Something changed to them to such a degree that now 
They come together and start living like this. Start living like a people in love with God, caring for one another, praising God, sharing what they have, just being an outpouring of life. What came upon them? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. There's no other explanation than something like this happening than the work of the Spirit. I mean, think about it. How hard is it just to get 20 people together to agree on one thing? And you have 3,000 people who were just living for their own ends the day before. Now they're starting to come and find a new way to live life. This is the work of the Spirit, breathing life into the body of Christ, like forming in its embryonic form, the church. So here's the way this passage is organized. In verse 42 is, is sort of the, the, the big idea, or the thesis of, of the whole thing. And what you see in verse 42 are the four commitments that, that compose the DNA of the church. And then 43 through 47, unpack and, and go into greater detail what it looked like for them to live out those four commitments. So let's talk about the four commitments. I'll put verse 42 on the screen. What are they? They devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Those are the four commitments. Why am I calling them commitments? Well, it comes from the text. This word devoted, I don't, I don't love it in, in the English translation because I think of more like a romantic devotion or like an, an emotional feeling. In the, in the Greek word, it's not devoid of emotion, but it really is focused on being committed to a course, like, like setting your course a certain way and sticking with it. So, you know, we, we might say in our, in our vernacular, they chose to stick with these four things. In other words, they made a commitment and they lived that commitment. Think about it this way. Commitments always are rooted in belief. Anything that you're committed to in life, you know, I'm committed to being a good dad, or I'm committed to living a certain way, or I'm, I'm committed. It comes from a core belief that, you know, for me, I'm committed to being a good dad. Why? Because being a good dad matters, you know, because I love my children. It's these core beliefs that then fuel our commitments, whatever your commitments are. If you think to what the people were believing that led to this commitment, it goes back to Peter's sermon. In fact, verse 41, I won't put it back on the screen, but it says that all these people that were baptized had received Peter's words about Jesus. In other words, they believed. And now once they believed, then they devoted themselves to these four things. So it starts with faith, right? It starts with belief. And then from a core belief, our commitments will start to flow. Let's look at the four commitments. Again, these commitments comprise the DNA of the church, which flows through us even in our day. So these really matter. Let's look at the four one at a time. I'll just put them up on the screen one at a time. The first is this. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why is this one first? Because all that follows comes from belief. All the commitments come from belief. All the commitments come from what is taught. Now, what is the content that was taught? What's the content that the apostles possessed that they would then teach to others? The person, words, and works of Jesus. It's that simple. In other words, it's the gospel and all of its implications for life. One person was the core of their message, Jesus Christ. 
One subject was the core of their message, the good news, the gospel, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, what it means, what it brings, what it requires. They taught what Jesus taught them. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Their source material was the Old Testament. There wasn't a New Testament. In fact, here's something really cool. The apostles' teaching becomes our New Testament. So if you think about it this way, we have what they taught. We have the letters they taught. We have recordings of the messages that they teach. We've got all these things in the book of Acts and then the epistles and and everything, all all the New Testament. We have what they taught. It's called the New Testament. We also have their source material where, where they got all the connections to how Jesus fulfilled all the scriptures. Their source material is called the Old Testament. In other words, and this is how I want to apply this to us, being devoted to the apostles' teaching means making a commitment to hear and obey the scriptures and the Old and New Testament. It's a commitment to the word of God. So don't, don't you dare substitute they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching to they committed themselves to the preacher's preaching or Rob's preaching or Lloyd's preaching or anyone else. No, 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 no. That's not what we're committed to here. Lloyd and I and the other teachers are committed to teaching God's word. We as a body are committed to God's word. Again, the apostles teaching New Testament, their source material, the Old Testament, is the word of God. And so this is why when we read our scripture, every time we read the scripture, we say, this is the living word of God for us today. This is what we're committed to. By the way, our very first core value of our church is word-centered. We put it first because it comes first in the DNA of the church. It's the very first thing it says. What were they committed to? They're committed to God's word, to teaching it, to listening it, and not just hearing and learning, but obeying it, living it out. All right, that's the first commitment. That's a big one, right? I could do the, I'd love to do the whole message on that, but, but there's some other ones, and they're, they're honestly just as good too. Look at number two. They committed themselves to the fellowship. Now, the word fellowship should be an important word for us as a church, right? We're called Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, it's, a, it's a helpful word. It's an interesting word in the Greek, koinonia. Koinonia, we usually think to ourselves, it means community. It means friendship. It means relationships. Yes and no. It's not less than that. Like that, that for sure is included in koinonia, but it's actually more than that. Biblical fellowship or, or, or koinonia brought with it a sense of belonging, not just relationally, but materially. Let me explain. We, we see this explicitly lived out in, in verses 44 and 45. Take a look. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Interesting. That's the Greek word koinos, the root of koinonia. You see this connection? And then verse 45 spells it out. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So their commitment to fellowship was was much deeper than we're gonna all be friends together and we're gonna talk and we're gonna hang out and we're gonna get to know each other, much deeper than that. It meant caring for each other, yes, with their presence, but also with their provision. It, It meant seeing the things that God had put in their hands as not just for them, 
one of our core values at Fellowship is not about ourselves. And, and y'all know we strive and live to be a generous church. By the way, this is not communism. This is not socialism. This is voluntary. This is spirit-led. This is very different than that. But it's a beautiful expression when you have people aligned, caring for each other's needs, which, by the way, can only happen by the unity of the spirit. Then they're able to give their things away to anyone who has need. And this is a beautiful picture of that. Let me give you just a very practical application here at Fellowship. And, and, and I'd say it this way. One of the best kept secrets at Fellowship, and many of you know this secret, but, mo- but most probably don't. If you go on our Facebook page, and either the Franklin Campus Facebook page or the Brentwood Campus Facebook page, we have this. There's, there's a little thing at the top that says, join, join the group. Now, what, what that actually is, it's sort of a group within a group. It's, it's our needs board. We call it our needs board. So if you join the group, you'll, you'll get, you know, we'll get your email address, we'll verify it, then you'll be in, and you'll be a part of our needs board. And on that needs board, people post needs that they have that, that our body may come together to meet, either for them or for someone they know. And then people respond and reply and say, I can help with that, I can do that, I can give that. It's a beautiful expression of koinonia. And it's just something we kind of started a few years ago, and it's just kind of had a life of its own. So I'd love for you to check that out. I'd love for you to get involved. It's one of the ways, it can't be the only way, that we're gonna move toward koinonia together, toward true fellowship together. Again, um, koinonia is relational community that involves all that we are. So yes, our presence. Yes, we wanna know each other. We wanna talk to them. We wanna hang out, these kinds of things. But it's also material. It's sharing all that we are and all that we have with those in need. This is the kind of body that we want to commit to becoming. So those are the first two uh, commitments. Now let's go to the third. They committed themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this makes it explicit that fellowship is is about more than just community because breaking of bread really talks about the relational investment. Let me say this as as I kind of continue on explaining what breaking of bread means. There's a little bit of debate here Uh, Some say, oh, that's referring to the Lord's Supper. And some say, no, it's just referring to eating meals together uh, in their homes. And and certainly there's evidence for that. The second argument in, in verse 46, I won't put it on the screen, but it says, breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food, dot, dot, dot. There's clearly a reference here to sharing meals at home. But it gets interesting because in the early church, they didn't do communion like we do communion. It was a part of a a meal for them. In fact, there's some evidence that suggests it was a part of every meal for them. In that culture, they're eating bread at every meal. They're drinking wine at every meal. That's just the staples for them. And so when they would get to the bread, they would remember together, "This, this bread represents the broken body of Jesus for us. Let's commune with him and commune with each other as we break bread together. So I don't think you have to choose. I think it's the Lord's Supper and I think it's table fellowship. It's community around a table. Isn't it true that even to this day, sharing a meal is is an expression of belonging? You get invited to lunch. You get invited to someone's house to come over to dinner. It's an expression of of belonging, of of being together, of of feeling known and being accepted by a table host as a guest. The table is a place of community and connection and belonging where you open yourself up to others so you can be known and you can know them with vulnerability. I think what's being described by breaking the breaking of bread is relational intimacy. 
And by the way, certainly that idea is carried in the Lord's Supper, is it not? That's why we call it communions, relational intimacy with God, relational intimacy with others. But, but even apart from Lord's Supper, as we eat meals together, whether you're eating bread or whether you're eating any other food sitting around a table, it's an opportunity to be vulnerable, to be known. One of our core values at Fellowship is courageously real. And we need to live that out together. And, and yes, that applies to how we teach the Bible. You know, Hopefully Lloyd and I and the others that teach, teach the Bible vulnerably and just say, well, I don't have all this all figured out. I certainly don't. But it also needs to apply to us around tables together. And this is where I'm struggling. Or how can I pray for you? You know what I've found about vulnerability? It only happens when, when one person takes a step, you know? This one person just says, can I, can I just share with you that I'm, I'm not that good right now? And then guess what? The next person shares and the next person shares. This is the kind of community that we want. We want to break bread together, refusing to go alone. Another one of our core values at Fellowship, we're better together. And by the way, better together is biblical, and, and again, it comes from this text and, and others just like it. There's one more commitment I want to get to. Not only the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, finally, they committed themselves to the prayers. I like the way the ESV translates it, the prayers, instead of just prayer. Most modern translations just say prayer. They committed themselves to prayer. But in the Greek... The definite article is there, and the, the, the plural is there. So what are the prayers? They're probably, first of all, the prayers of the Old Testament Scripture, known and recited for millennia by the Hebrew people. Remember, the early Christians were, were Hebrew people that accepted Christ as their Messiah. They continued to pray the, the great prayers of the Old Testament, the, the Psalms, the, the Shema, which they would pray, you know, every, every morning. I'm sure it also included the great prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure that now has become one of the prayers that they're praying and saying out loud together. Verse 47 tells us they were praising God, declaring God's great worth, which I think was the main content of these prayers. Here's where I'm going. Don't think of just they committed themselves to pray. I think what it's saying is they committed themselves to being together in worship together. They committed themselves to praying together, reciting the prayers in community together. Worshiping is essentially what they were doing. In our, our passage, again, I won't put all this on the screen, but it says that they were in the temple together. And we know from other passages in Acts that they would gather on the steps of the temple. If you've ever been in Jerusalem, temple's a massive complex. You could fit a thousand people or more on certain parts of the steps. They gathered in Solomon's portico, which is part of the, the temple complex. So they gathered in large gatherings like we're doing here this morning and even much bigger than us this morning. They also gathered in homes, the text says. Large gatherings, small gatherings, breaking bread together. They're saying the prayers together. What are they doing? Worshiping together. Worshiping Jesus together. So let me, let me just put, let, let me put, the, uh, put all this together for you because I, I kind of want you to see the four of these, how they work together. They gathered together in, in large and small groups to listen to the teaching about Jesus Christ coming from the men who walked with Jesus Christ to share their presence and their material possessions with anyone who had needs, 
to eat together and be known by one another. And finally, to pray and worship together. What does that sound like? A church. This is the DNA of the church. This is the DNA that runs through us today. And so on Commitment Sunday, you all, we're recommitting ourselves to these four things. This is the kind of church we want to be. This is the kind of church we must be. You all, I want you just to imagine what will happen in our day and time if a church starts taking these four things seriously and, and simply says, we don't have to be complicated. We don't have to be fancy. We just need to do these four things. And so this is what I want to, want to tell you today is every square inch of both of our campuses are going to be devoted to this. And it can't just be in our campuses. It's got to be in our homes and got to be in our workplaces and got to be on the soccer fields and got to be in the coffee shops. It's got to be all around. But we certainly want to have these sacred places that we can gather together and live out these four commitments. Here's my prayer for us, you all, is that today we commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We commit ourselves to the fellowship. We commit ourselves to the breaking of bread. We commit ourselves to the prayers. Here's why this matters. The very last sentence of our text says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's what happens when the church commits itself to these four things. Like, I'm dead serious because it's not about us, it's about the spirit through us. So all we have to do is live out the DNA of the church. And what will happen? Multiplication of life. Multiplication of life. Think about this. At the very beginning of creation, the spirit hovered over the waters and then created an explosion of life on the earth. When Jesus came, thousands of years later, when Jesus came, fully indwelled by the Spirit, Jesus brought another explosion of life to the earth, didn't he? And then when the Spirit filled the disciples on this day that we've been talking about today, on the day of Pentecost, once again, there was another explosion of life. This time it came through the church. Y'all, this is God's plan to bring life to this planet. This is the hope of the world. It's the church living out these four commitments. So this now brings us to one of the ways that we're going to demonstrate our commitment to this. And y'all, it's just one of the ways, but I don't want us to miss it. This is Commitment Sunday for this as well. And, and so here's what I want to say about these we believe these financial commitments that we're making today will serve to provide spaces and places where we can live out the DNA of the church. Come, see, give, live. God's word, fellowship, breaking of bread, worship and prayers. We do all this by the spirit. We're spirit dependent people. That's the last of our core values that I would want to mention to you this morning. And then as we live that, I can't wait to see what the Spirit will do through the people of fellowship. I want to invite the band to come back up. 
here's, here's your instructions for the cards. You don't need to do anything with them in this room during the worship service. But as you leave today, as you, as you leave on the right-hand side, you'll see two big boxes. You'll, they'll have this kind of logo on them. And, and in those boxes, you can put your commitment card. So you'll, you'll fill it out, place it in an envelope. And by the way, if you didn't get a commitment card or you didn't forgot yours today, there's more on there. You can grab cards and envelopes and, and write, write your commitment, seal it in the envelope, place it in the box. As you place it in the box, I hope you'll pause and, and, and say, I'm committing not just my money, I'm committing my life and my presence to living out these four commitments that we've been talking about as a church. Now, I know some of you may not be prepared to make your commitment. You know, we, we tried to give you heads up of when this would be, but perhaps you're not prepared this morning. And, and that's okay because this morning we, we give and, and we offer our gifts and we know that some aren't able to be here today or some aren't ready to give. So for the next three Sundays, we'll have those boxes there. And then on that third Sunday, three weeks from now, uh, my math is wrong. Well, they'll be out at least the next two Sundays. And then on the third Sunday, we'll announce the total we can give. Here's another way that you can give. Starting tomorrow, if you go to our website, you can, there'll be an electronic version of this card. And you can make your commitment that way too, electronically. So those of you that are watching online, you can do that as well starting tomorrow. I want to ask you to stand up. Um, here's how we're going to close our service this morning. Um, we're going to do a responsive reading, which I'll explain to you in just a minute. And after the responsive reading, we're gonna sing a song. And then after the song, come back up for our benediction. When we thought about how we wanted to commit ourselves to God's word, we thought about Peter's sermon. We thought about the gospel that went out and the people responded to it. And we thought about the idea that belief precedes commitment. And so we thought it appropriate to corporately affirm what we believe and to do so using some of the exact words from Peter's sermon 2,000 years ago that gave birth to the church. So I'll read the part of the leader. We'll all read together the part of the congregation and the words will be on the screen. What does it mean that these men are speaking in our language the mighty works of God? We believe that this is the promise of God through the prophet Joel. God is pouring out his spirit. What do you make of this man, Jesus? We believe Jesus is the son of God, confirmed by the mighty works and wonders and signs God did through him. But he was delivered up, crucified and buried. We believe God raised him up from the grave because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For what end was he crucified, buried, and raised? We believe that what he did, he did for us, so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What will you do with this risen Jesus? We believe God has made him both Lord and Christ. We will follow him, for we believe he alone is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. Amen.